Hello, and welcome to The Unique CPA with your host, Randy Crabtree. The goal of our show is to keep you at the forefront of the changing face of public accounting by having conversations with fascinating leaders and bringing you their stories, insights, and advice. The Unique CPA podcast is brought to you by Trimerit, the specialty tax professionals. Today, our guest is Brian Cush. Brian is the co-founder of Intent to Lead, which is actually a leadership development firm, specifically dealing with CPAs, but I think other leaders as well. Brian, welcome to the Unique CPA. Thank you, Randy. It's great to be here. Yeah, I was very happy you and I got to meet uh, a month ago in Nashville, um, and I had been looking forward to meeting you because I thought you'd be a great guest on here. So now I'm putting pressure on you. You have to be a great guest because I just called it ahead of time. So <laughs> I have no doubt you will. Okay. All right. We'll see. We'll see if I, if I measure up to your standards here, Randy. Okay. Oh, my standards are low, so you got it. So that's no big deal. <laughs> so this is good. One of the requirements is uh, we have to laugh. So we already got the laughing out of the way on this right. show. So so we're good to go. So you do a lot of coaching, like I said, with with leaders, specifically in the in the public accounting arena, especially with the county firms in general. And and I was hoping we could discuss some of the things that you're seeing that firms are struggling with uh, uh, right now. But, but really, before we get into that. I want to know a little more about Brian Cush. You want to give us a, a little background on yourself and how you got to this spot? Yeah, sure. Yeah. So uh, I grew up in public accounting. I, I worked at one of the, the international firms in Washington, D.C. for about five years. I then went to a consulting company called Audit Watch, which serves the public accounting profession. I stayed there nine years. It's interesting. When I first started working at AutoWatch, I would actually go back and do some audits during busy season for the first couple. Uh-huh. So yeah, we were always busy in the summer as a consultant. Right. And, and then in the, in the wintertime, I would go back and do audits with, with EY. And uh, yeah, that was fun. I, I, really, I really enjoyed doing consulting to the profession. I really feel strongly that we have an amazing profession that attracts really amazing people. I kind of found in my time at Audit Watch, that my best value to people was in challenging and working with people and and uh, especially in one-on-one situations. At the end of my tenure at Audit Watch, I hired a coach and he helped me. Uh, I was tasked with running a new team. It was IT auditing and uh, I was not great at business development. I hired a sales coach and he helped me to be better at sales, more intentional in my life, and, and helped me to be a better everything, brother, colleague, entrepreneur, everything, uh, son, uh, a better hu- husband, a better father. Uh, one of the reasons why I do coaching now is because I think what it's afforded me to do, which is basically jump out of your life and, and uncover what you care about, right? Get on the balcony of your life, start observing and saying, hey, what do I really want? What brings me meaning? You know, And then how can I show up for others that way? And so... Yes, I, I then became a coach. Uh, AutoWatch was bought out by Thomson Reuters. I was one of only two people that decided not to go with the new firm. You know, I had zero clients. My wife was pregnant the next week. Um, and I, I put up a shingle. My coach helped me a lot. I went back to school. I went to Georgetown and got a degree or a, a certificate in leadership coaching. And, you know, at that time, that was, uh, that was 2008 or so. Coaching wasn't as big as it was now. So I just did a lot of reach outs to the accountants I know and said, Hey, what do you think about coaching? And, you know, do you think you could benefit from it? And, and yeah, 14 years later, here I am. And I feel like my job now is a fantasy camp because I, I just get to help people become more intentional in their life. 
I provide them the space structure and support to figure out what they want and then how they get there. And so, yeah, that's, I guess that's the, the background of me. Yeah. I, I've, I've grown up nice. in the profession. Yeah. Yep. That's funny. Cause as you're saying that, I'm going, yeah, yes, yes. Everything you're saying. I personally feel like I followed my passion years ago and my passion was public accounting, but it wasn't in general. Mm-hmm. But when I started Trimerit and we were able to do this specialized tax, and then five years ago when I decided that managing partner was not my role and what I like doing is really going out and educating people. And then that's where what you were saying was just resonating with me. It's like, I don't work a day at all right now. Nothing I do is work. It's just, uh, I feel very, very lucky and very spoiled. So it's great to hear that you feel like you're on that path too, which is nice. Yeah, Randy. I mean, the word is the word that comes up for me when I hear you say that's just learning, right? When every day we can learn and we can learn with other people. Like, yeah, how great is that, yep. right? That's just it, it, work is fun. Yep. I, I hear you, and I learn every day. And which I mean, you're going to teach me something today. Every time I talk to somebody on the podcast, I learn something new, and then I steal it and, and <laughs> I borrow what they say. I use it to help educate others wherever I can. So you'll hear me quoting you probably somewhere down the road based on something you say today. And, and, and I think borrowing people's ideas or whatever it is, is, is a, a good form of flattery. Right. It's funny. I'm like that too. Sometimes I will, I will share a quote with someone and I will have to say, Hey, this isn't my quote. I can't remember exactly where it came from, but it was somebody yes. else. Yep. Right. Yep. Yeah. Yep. I don't always uh, give myself credit. Very seldom do I do on that, but uh, all right, well, let's get into this because what we're doing is, is we're saying not everybody is having as much fun as you and I, and there are things that they are struggling with. So public accounting in general, we've known, I mean, it's it, just, if you look at the last three years, it's been crazy in public accounting, but not even the last three years. So when you're out doing your one-on-one coaching now, when you're talking to leaders within the, the public accounting industry or profession, give me, let's start with one. What, what's one of the biggest struggles that they're dealing with right now? Right. Yeah. And there are several. Um, I, I would say the, the, the one that's paramount, the one that's probably in the, the largest percentage of the clients that I work with is just their own self well-being, uh, anxiety and stress and burnout. I mean, Randy, you know, we've always said words in our profession like I am overwhelmed, right? Like I am burnt out. And, and I think those terms get too normalized. I think we expect it. And I think we've modeled that too much. But I think because of the pandemic, I think because people feel in some ways a little more isolated, you know, and, and, and we're finally starting to look at mental health, that has become a huge issue, right? Which is, you know, we always say, hey, how can I be a great leader? How can I even be a good leader if I can't be a healthy human being first, right? right? And so I think I'm, I'm, I'm very optimistic that we're getting out of the mindset of, of, as a good accountant, just trying to help everybody else, help everyone else around us, right? I think, you know, and we think, oh, it's selfish if I look at myself and it's selfish if I prioritize my own well-being and self-care. Uh, that, that word selfish is a bad word. We shouldn't be using it. What we need to be doing is we need to be intentional about how we create real boundaries, how we become a healthier leader by becoming first a healthier human being. And then how do we model that for other people as well? Because when we have a, a negative or an unhealthy lifestyle, right, and, and we're someone people look up to, what they start to think is, okay, this is what I have to go through in order to make right. it here. Right. And, and that is, I think, something that's being challenged now. Right. And, you know, with turnover being what it is and, 
and that type of thing. That's just not going to work anymore, I think, into the future. Yep. So yeah, that that idea of anxiety, burnout, and stress, right? And and truly knowing what burnout is. And you know, I tend to lead, we do some polling in a lot of our webinars, and the numbers that have come back to us is 70 to 75% of the people that we work with are either experiencing burnout right now or they have in the recent past. Right. And and that just shouldn't be acceptable. It's too normalized and too accepted, but it, it shouldn't right. be. No, I agree. It's a uh, very fortunate I've got to speak about this subject a few times this year and I'm very excited I get to do it a a few more times so I I didn't know where we were going with the first topic but I I think that is one of the biggest issues to deal with and what I all I'm going to add a little to that because I've been and and you can comment on it where you see if I'm right or I'm wrong based on what you see I was in public accounting for a long time as managing partner for for a firm we were very tax heavy I was way too busy to the point in time every tax season I dreaded and every tax season I would you know stress burnout too many hours seven days a week getting home at 10 at night and it just couldn't continue but that was burnout that was stress and if that continues that can actually lead to mental illness, which is going even a step further. And and unfortunate for me, I think that's one of the reasons I ended up selling my firm was just I couldn't take it anymore from that burnout level. And it worked out well for me, but some people just don't get out of it and they can't get out of it. So is there anything we can do to, to help that? I mean, any ideas you have? Yeah. Yeah. And let me just add to what you said. Yeah, it can lead to mental illness, but it can really also lead to physical illness. <laughs> You know, I, uh, one of the things I started doing or I learned early in my coaching career is that I'm no doctor for sure, but I had to understand where my clients were physically, right? Especially those that have been in this for a long time. What has been the, the overall, the cumulative impact of you doing what you just said, you know, during busy season and putting everything second and yeah, what is the cumulative impact? So yeah, Mm -hmm. what can you do with that? Well, first of all, um, it's funny, you know, I, it's amazing how many clients I hear that say something similar to what you do. Brian, I can't have another 915 like I just had. I just can't go through it anymore. Right. I can't have another 331 just like I just had or 415. So actually being a little bit angry about it, actually saying, hey, you know what? That is my status quo, right? And I, I actually have to be able to believe that I can make change. I think that's one of the hardest things here. Uh, which is that I think it's a cultural mindset that we have that that's the way it should be. That's the way it has to be. And you either accept that and conform to that mindset or you have to get out of here. And uh, I think, you know, all change has to be preceded by changed in thinking. And so I think we have to first think as an industry and as individuals that I can actually live the busy season I want. Mm-hmm. And I can change my lifestyle in a way. And then what do I do in order to do that? Right. And so how do I create the healthy habits that actually renew my energy? Because so much about busy season is typically, oh, it's the light at the end of the tunnel, right? It's a marathon, right? When mm-hmm. human beings don't work that way, we are better at sprinting, you know, and, and using energy in ways where we can expend good energy, but then renew our energy. So to actually have an energy renewal plan during busy season is huge. And a lot of times what's what's important to that is it's hard to start during busy season. You have to do it usually when you're out of busy season. And so a lot of times when we get out of busy season, we tend to relax and stuff. But that's really when you should be challenging your habits and say, hey, what can I do on a daily basis so that if I have a really tough day, I can still 
take care of myself, right? And then the simple things, right? Like prioritizing hydration, nutrition, and sleep, you know, those three things, uh, which accounts don't do a lot of times, or they just have them be second, you know, second fiddle when it comes to crunch time. Yeah. How can you prioritize those three things every day in your life so that it, the habits are there so that when you get to busy season, it's the same. Yep. And I would add exercise to that as well. Yes. Exercise is always a renewer for me. And that, I've been on the road right now for five straight days in five different cities. And I've gone five days without hitting the gym, which I never do. And I could tell, I could tell when I woke up this morning, I just have not worked out. And that, I seriously, I start to, that almost causes me stress is the fact that I haven't got to the gym. So before we started today, I got down there for an hour and I pushed hard. And man, my energy level is so high right now. It is, just feels so great. So I think that's extremely important as well. Yeah. And Randy, let me just add to that. You know, I, I think as accountants, we tend to think about time management, right? Like if I, if I do something, I've taken time away from something else, right? right? So I don't have time to go to the gym. I don't have time to, to do this energy renewing activity, even if it's just taking a quick little walk, something like that. But when you look at it from an energy management perspective, that can shift a little bit, right? By you getting that hour in at the gym this morning, what does that do in terms of your efficiency, your productivity, your mood, yep. you know, the, the way you might be able to connect with other people here, you know, in a way that, hey, it's not so much about trading time. It's more about renewing my energy so that just the world gets the better version of me that day. Yeah, it, it definitely works for me, for sure. The other thing we're doing as a company, and I just add this because we were talking about mental health with the burnout and, and all that. Is And then I'm going to transition to somewhere else I think might be interesting to talk about. But but with mental health in general and the burnout and the stress, and which could lead to mental illness, which is, is very serious, they're all serious, is what we were put together a month ago, and we're still in the process, is a, a mental health committee uh, in our company that we're trying to figure out ways that we can make sure that everybody knows that we are open to talk about whatever is bothering somebody, whether they want to talk to somebody internally, or we're going to give them an opportunity to talk to, let's say, a counselor, or just give them tools to be, you know, more meditative and relax. You know, in our office, there is a gym, but we don't have a lot of people in the office. So, so we're starting to do that. And we're, we're coming up, we're in the middle of coming up with the program right now, but I'm very excited, but we're going to roll out pieces uh, during that time. So I think that's something that more firms, I think, are looking at. And I obviously more firms should go destigmatize the burnout, the stress, the mental health, the mental illness. Right. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I think that could be helpful as a resource to your people, but it also sends a message, right, about you prioritizing that. And I agree. I think firms are starting to do that more and they're having programs and giving, um, you know, uh, giving their staff more resources that they need. Yep. Um, and I love your, your, your term about destigmatizing it. One, one thing I found is that um, there's a little bit of vulnerability around this, right? I, I think this is where leadership comes into play, yep. right? Where where we need to be able to say as leaders, whether it's the higher ups or whoever it is, you know, the, the, the hey, and the, again, in the past, in the old mindset, as a leader, I got to show other people that I always have it together, right? right. That, 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 I'm, that I'm working and this is all great and I have this work-life balance and all that. But that's not, first of all, that's not true for most. And secondly, that's not real. That's not raw. That's not authentic. That is not being vulnerable. And I think what people want to hear more than ever now is that they're not the only one. And yes. that guess what? This is stuff that leadership struggles with as well. And maybe that brings more of a sense of belonging because we're all in this together. 
Yep. So um, I've, I've heard from younger staff, especially that say, hey, when the leaders tell us that they're struggling with this too, or they have a personal antidote or story around it, that actually makes me feel more empowered, which is kind of weird, but it does. It, it connects us together and, and people realize they're not the only one. And hey, maybe when we're in this together, we can do things better and we can be real and we don't have to hide and put a mask on that things are better than they are. Yep. Yep. We don't have to, you know, buck it up, you know, keep it inside. Don't, sh- you know, the, don't let people see that you're having this issue because now you're going to look weak or whatever. No, that's right. not What's the way that old it is. Saying? Don't let them see you sweat, right? Like, yeah, don't let them exactly. see you sweat. Yeah. No. Good. Well, I want to go one more thing on this and I could talk this all day. And, and, but the, what you just said is one of the the ways we're going to kick off our program of mental health within our company. We're going to do an entire company and our company spread out the country. And so, you know, we're going to do an all company teams meeting where we're going to ask for everybody's ideas on what we should do as a company. Cause it's not just, you know, the committee, but we want to, you know, we don't know everything. There's five of us or four of us on the committee, but there's other people, but we're going to start that with a 15 minute presentation that I'm going to do where I'm going to talk about, you know, my struggles with mental illness in the past, which was something that uh, that affected me after I, and people on the podcast have heard this before, probably getting sick of me saying this, but it's an important issue. Um, you know, I, I had a stroke eight years ago, and after the stroke I had, I went through bouts of depression and PTSD and panic attacks. I love being able to share the journey that that took me through with other people because again i think vulnerability is you have to be vulnerable i think people resonate with that if you're open and you're going to share and you're honest and so what you you're everything you say today i'm like 100 percent agreement are we the same person or what's going on here but that's what we're going to do we're going to lead off with that presentation and just so people feel open to share whatever they want to share right yeah and in in this topic it's really important for sure but i just think as a leadership mantra as a leadership mindset, the idea of how can I be actually more vulnerable as a leader? Mm -hmm. I I think, yeah, we we tend to, you know, we tend to like people's confidence and we admire people that are really strong, but I think we connect more with people that are, that are human like us. So, so the idea of making vulnerability be a part of your leadership, I'm, I, I think we're starting to get there as a profession and I love that. And I love your example. And that's probably the best way you could kick that off. Good stuff. I think so. And I'm, I'm excited about doing that. All right. So let's, I can go another hour on this, but let, let's talk about some other struggles that uh, yeah. firms or leaders are dealing with right now. You have, an, you have another, you have second in line that you'd like to discuss? Yeah. I think one of the biggest challenges that we see a lot of is the idea of who do I have to be as a leader for others? Let, let me, let me share a little bit more about that. So how do I show up in a way that empowers other people? And I think in some of the traditional older ways, we tend to think, hey, you know what? People need to learn from me. People need to um, be told always what to do. I need to solve people's problems, right? As accountants, I think we really like solving problems. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, whenever you look at some of the AICPA surveys, that's actually one of the things accountants tend to say that they enjoy about their job, which is solving problems. Right. Uh, and that's great. And we need to help people solve problems. But one of the biggest challenges we see, especially in our coaching, is when we start to create dependent relationships where other people uh, tend to have us as the owner of all the problems of the department or of the team or of this audit or this client or whatever. Uh, and so for 
the, the we, sometimes we call it the savior complex, right? Hey, I am so great and I am so knowledgeable and I'm experienced that I need to be able to save my clients. I need to be able to save my staff. And that mindset it can create dependence because when we are so enthralled with solving people's problems, right? Giving them the answers all the time, then we tend to create a reinforcement around that and people come back to us. So we have a lot of people that come to us for a coaching opportunity where they're saying, I just can't do this anymore. I'm not creating real owners within my staff. I'm not creating that ownership that's needed. I'm struggling with everyone coming to me all the time. And, and there's a cost to that. I'm not doing the things I know I could be doing. I'm not doing my best use items. I'm, I'm not adding as much value to my clients as I can because I'm always putting out fires, right? I'm always saving people. And yeah, so that is hard. And, and I don't get to do those other things I want to do. And yeah, it comes from a mindset and it comes from just a lot of experience of, of continuing to do that. So yeah, that's a huge one. And and I think even through the pandemic, people have talked about that more. I don't know where people are as much and I struggle and, you know, the, you know, it's, it's how do I know what they're doing? And because of my mindset, I'm used to telling them what to do. And if I'm not with them as much, right, I, I struggle in, in getting them to buy in on the things they need to own. Right. Well, that almost sounds a little like micromanaging is involved in some of those mindsets for sure. And, and my, my philosophy is just, you know, give people the knowledge they need and let them go. I mean, there's going to be small things to correct and put in the right direction, but, but trust that people can do the job they're doing. Yeah. And, but, but Randy, the idea of trusting the let them go, right? I think that comes from a mindset of, hey, I believe in their creativity, right? I believe in their resourcefulness. And and that's a mindset. We sometimes call that the coaching mindset, which is right. Instead of me believing in my own powers, instead of me believing how much I can help others, I actually start to believe in them, yep. right? Not that they're ever perfect by any right. means, right? But hey, they can be creative. They can be resourceful. They're whole people. And and what if I show up as a, as a believer, Mm -hmm. Right. How does that get different? Instead of me throwing answers down their throat, right? Instead of me telling them what to do, if I show up as a true believer, then I show up more as a coach. I start to ask questions. I start to listen. I start to get really, really curious. Right. I and in that way, people can sense that, right? And instead of me having to have the, the tough answers, I instead have the tough questions. Yep. Right. And when I have the tough questions, it makes the other person who's really the performer anyway. That's what a coach does. You you have the performer do the hard work. Right. And when you start to have that mindset, you start to get curious about the toughest questions you can ask them so they can solve, you know, the problems and go forward. Yep, I agree. And, and then again, going back to my history in public accounting, I was that the wrong way first, at least in my mind, the wrong way. You know, I had to review every single number on every single tax return, it seemed like, because I, you know, I, I mean, everything had to be perfect. And I had very good people that were getting good jobs done and getting the work done. And, and it took me a long time to get past that. Even when we started Trimerit, I was still way too much in that mindset. And, and really for me at age 54, um, you know, when I gave up managing partner role was when I really started to realize that I don't know everything. I don't have all the answers. I don't have to. I, I honestly love it right now when people come and pretty much argue with me, you know, hey, no, no, that's wrong. You're doing that wrong. This is not it. You, you, you know, this is what I believe. 
And I've learned so much over the last five years when people come do that because I'm like, yeah, I don't know everything. You're right. And you guys do. You are awesome. Right. And so it's, it's for me, it's took a long time and it's, it's later in life, but man, I, that's why I'm having so much fun now. Yeah. Yeah. But that is a mindset change, right? You're now you're oh, more yeah, curious about what you can learn from others and getting their input and believing in them. Yeah, unfortunately, in our profession, sometimes we do tend to reward the other way a lot, right? Hey, if you're a savior, if you're putting out fires, that's that's a person we need. And I'm not saying we don't need those people, but we also really need to reward and reinforce those that truly develop others, right? Yep. And can do that mentoring and coaching in a way where, hey, I'm I'm moving other people up. And I'm going to personally benefit from that because I don't have to put out all the fires all the time. Yep. But yeah, my value can now be derived instead of me having the answers of actually soliciting them from others. And that is a shift, right? That is a shift oh, that you went through. And a, a lot of times it's a shift that unfortunately people come to me to want to make, but it's it's because they're so much later in their career and they, they just, they're, they're struggling and getting their work right. done and they're struggling and getting other people to own what they're doing. Right. So it's just you help them with that mindset change, put tools in place and steps in place to get to the the level which is going to be the best for them. I assume that's the way things go here, right? Right. Yes. Yes. So you change your mindset and then you start to show up more as a, as a coach, as a curious person. That's awesome. Says, hey, yep. My skills are going to be much more about being a really deep and active listener and asking you really tough questions instead of my communication skills to give you the answers a lot. Right. Yep. Yep. All right. All right. How about the next one? Should we move on to another one or yeah. how many we got here? <laughs> yeah. Well, I, 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 I had written five or six down here. I mean, I, I think, I think another one, and I think it, this is related to um, the first one we talked about a little bit, but just the sense of belonging that people have right now, yep. right? Hey, we're, we're, we're in this hybrid environment and sometimes it's totally virtual environment. And how do I truly connect with people in a way where, hey, I'm used to before the pandemic being there physically with them, you know? And, and so how do I not, not only do I just know what they're doing in terms of their work and stuff, but how do I know how they're doing? And, you know, and I think we've realized that it's the whole human being that does accounting work. It was always that way. But I, I think we're now realizing that. Right. So what do I do as a leader, as a manager? What do I do? that actually can create true belonging of my people in today's age where we're so dispersed, right? And every uh, so much is done via, via Zoom or whatever. So how do I truly create that belonging? So can I'm going to keep going with the things we're doing and you could tell me if we're in the right space or not. Well, so to hear it because we've been remote pretty much from the start. We have a small office, but not a lot of people there. We have people all over the country and, and we're about 50 people now. And, and, and so, you know, like you said, we're on Zoom all the time, which is great. Little things we've done on Zoom to just build more community, more camaraderie is is we get to know people outside of what they do for work. So let's say we're on a business development call. At the end of that call, it's one person's turn to spend 10 minutes telling us about themselves, sharing pictures, sharing objects, sharing, bringing their kids into the room, you know, whatever it is, just to get to know them deeper. And so nothing about work at all. It's just, hey, who are you, you know, outside of what we've just been talking about for the last hour. And so that's one thing we've done. And then the other thing we've done, just because we are all over, is twice a year, we just all get together. We just did it in Chicago last month. We're doing it in San Diego in November. Um, and so 
it, we think it's extremely important for all of us to get together in one spot, which we do education at that time. But then, oh, we let loose every night too and have a lot of fun. Right. So, any other ideas? Yeah, those are great ideas. I mean, I'll just piggyback off those first two ideas, right? So the first one I heard is, hey, at the end of a meetings and stuff, we let people share something, something personally, right? You're kind of checking out, giving them that opportunity to share something about themselves. And I, I think that's huge, right? I think people do want to bring their whole self to work. And when you give them that space to do that, to share something that people might not know, right? That's huge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just doing even little check-ins and checkouts during meetings, right? Hey, how are you doing? How are you doing? Check in with us. Share with us anything you want to share. Maybe you had a really rough meeting. Let us know that. Be right. real with your emotion. You know, to be able to check in and check out as a human being, I think is awesome. Uh, yeah, the idea of getting together, you know, in person and actually having events like that. One thing, Randy, I've learned over the last probably just 90 days you know, a lot of firms are starting to do that more. That actually, that actually creates a little bit of anxiety for some people now hmm, okay. because they're not used to it as much, right? Yep, yep. Some people, especially some of the introverts, have thrived in some of this. And so just realize that, right? Yep. One of the things that you can do, maybe, you know, three years ago, you didn't have to do when you had an in-person event, but they can call people in. So I, I was surprised to learn that. But yes, yeah, some people have some anxiety around that. And yep. I'll tell you, yeah, even myself at times where I get into a big group now, it's just I'm not as used to it as I was mm-hmm. many years ago. So, yeah, let's just realize that. I love um, that point because I didn't even – sorry, Brent, but I didn't even think about that. And I was talking with someone uh, a week ago and talking about, hey, some of this stuff I just make assumptions. I mean, we all talk about this, and I and there, but somebody might have a different thought than I'm thinking and not feel comfortable, whether it's the mental health issue or something else. And so, how do I know what they're actually thinking if they don't feel comfortable to bring it to it? And I think they should, but don't always. So they just said, do anonymous surveys or just have an anonymous area where somebody can post whatever their ideas are, what their thoughts are, what their concerns are. And so I, we've started that with the mental health portion and that's part of it. But just overall, I think that's going to be key is that let anybody share anything that's a concern to them anonymously. What do you think? Yeah, no, I think that's just another way to get some, some feedback that you might not have done in another format. So I think yep. that's great. Yeah. Maybe okay. That's a good starting point different feedback. Yeah. Right. Um, so one, one thing uh, we've started to help some of our clients with, and we've even started to do some training on is the idea of actually being intentional about designing your working relationships, right? I know that sounds all formal and things like that, but as a leader, right? And a lot of our relationships, I think, are getting split off into one-to-one relationships versus team. Now, we still do Zooms on teams and all that, but we're doing a lot of interacting one-on-one with people, maybe even more so now. So how do you intentionally design that working relationship so that both parties can thrive, right? And it can be things like asking just questions about what other people value in working relationships, right? You know, it's, it's simple little things that maybe we already should have been doing about how responsive do we need to be to each other, right? And just asking questions that draw the other person in on how we best work together. And I think that sounds really simple, but I don't think we've done that formally. And I think there's a, there's a great opportunity to do that, to actually show up in a curious way and ask the people that you work with questions around how the relationship can thrive for both people. 
And so that's something that we, we've had some people really work off of and done really well with that, right? And it, it can draw people in. One, one learning point we have uh, learned from that, though, is it doesn't always draw people in right away. Sometimes accounts aren't used to being asked questions like that. And so some of the leaders have had to keep at it, right? Hey, I'd like you to think about this, right? What is one, maybe what is one thing that I do in our relationship that you value the most? Something like that, right? But sometimes accounts need a little bit of space to process, come up with an answer. Maybe it's, or maybe they just have a little bit of an awkward silence, right? And they don't have an answer to that, you know? And I, and I think navigating relationships, I think we need to be a little more formal or intentional about it. Yep. Yep. Nope. I agree. We talked about, you know, putting in like mentoring programs, which is, you know, probably pros and cons to that. And so, you know, we talked to it as a group one last time we got together and, and there was like, not all buy-in, which I can completely understand. And I don't know if I'm buying in with all of that completely either. Um, but yeah, being able to somehow, because the, the key was that, you know, you might not be comfortable for some reason sharing those, you know, concerns and we want people to be comfortable, but they're not going to always. So I don't know if there's a way around that. Right. Well, we just need to meet them where they are. And that's not easy because there's not one answer, you know, that you can just say, hey, do this for everybody. Right. right? But I think keeping at it, you know, and even as a, a mentoring program example, what can the mentor and the mentee do in that relationship where every once in a while they can actually just step outside of the mentoring conversation and just ask each other, hey, how is this going? Right. You know, is there anything we can be doing? Yeah. When we do mentoring, you know, mentoring is about providing lessons and providing good advice and stuff like that. But if we could just step outside the relationship just every once in a while and just say, hey, what could we do to to make this mentoring work better for each other? Right. Right. And when you get to that place, you get to a real human connection and you start to really you're, you're learning together. You're you're figuring it out together. And I think that because this world is so unknown and all the different things we have to navigate now, right, to be able to have that place of conversation where you can say, hey, how can we just roll up our sleeves and think about getting a little bit better at what we do and how we interact? Yep. Right. And I think that I think people like to be drawn in that. Like I said, some accountants may be a little hesitant at first, but I think when you give them the space and the structure to get there, they do. And that can create a good sense of belonging, right? It can create a, hey, you know what? This person not only cares about being the mentor because they were chosen, but they actually care about how this mentoring relationship can best benefit me. I think that's great. These are all awesome. I, I could sit and talk about this all day, um, but at some point I'm going to have to go back to the conference I'm at. So um, let's go through one more thing that you're seeing firms struggle with, leaders struggle with, and, and identify you know, ways that they can deal with that. Right. So one of the most common uh, topics that the coaches that we work with brings up is just the question of how do I fit in? to my firm and how do I fit into this industry? So a lot of times, especially what you might term as emerging leaders, right? They're starting to look into their future. They're starting to ask themselves, do I want to be an executive or do I want to be a partner or things like that? And what they're doing is they're struggling with figuring out how they fit in. And usually that's because they've created a perception about what that leadership lifestyle or that model ahead of them looks like. And what do they see? You know, and do they see people that are, you know, five, 10 years ahead of them? What's the, what's the lifestyle they live? What's the healthy lifestyle that they live or not healthy lifestyle they live? 
What's the leadership style that is rewarded around here? And so they struggle and they want to talk about in the coaching, how do I fit in? A lot of times if they see a, a model that they don't like, they think, oh, I have to conform to that. Or they sometimes get a little brave and say, hey, can I be the partner or the leader that I want to be? And can it work around here? Right. Right. And so they really, they're at that, that crossroads of, I don't know, you know, I don't know. Is it worth it for me to get promoted <laughs> if I'm going to have to conform to that style uh, of what I see? Um, and sometimes I, in the public accounting profession, especially they'll call it the billable hours lifestyle. Right. 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 right? Where it's like, okay, the amount of billable hours that you have, that is the, the true worth the value that you bring, right? And that's what's exclusively rewarded around here. That's the thing that will always get you, you know, some, uh, some, some kudos from people around here and especially leadership. Yeah. And that's, uh, well, I think, well, at the smaller firms, I think that is changing and I think it'll take longer at the bigger firms, you know, cause they are all tied to that billable hour. But, you know, if you talk to Ron Baker or somebody else, you know, it's the more value billing, the more subscription pricing. And I think that's huge and just the more advisory service, but I'm going to, again, relate back to us okay. of what we're doing. And this is, I probably to me personally, but I am a huge proponent and I love talking about finding your passion and role in the business and combining those two if possible. And even if you don't have that role exist currently, you know, yeah. hopefully you have a leader that will listen to you about, hey, this is what I really enjoy doing. And hey, we don't have a a division or a portion of our firm that is currently working with uh, uh, craft breweries. But I love everything about craft breweries, and I'd love to be able to, you know, go out and be the expert in this industry and try to, you know, build a, 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 my passion of craft breweries into my passion at work with advising clients. And so, from a leadership standpoint, I think people just have to be open to the ideas that everybody in the firm has, and I think sometimes they're not. It's like, no, that's not how we do things. This is the way we do things. That is probably something you personally see and probably have to help with, correct? Yeah, it is, right? And I, I think that's where you, you look at the older traditional mindset and you look at the more evolved mindset that we need as an industry, right? Under the old traditional mindset, right? We have a hierarchy here. You know, if we're going to even talk about succession, it's about people doing what other people are already doing here and fitting into that chart right. kind of thing. Um, under the newer, more evolved mindset, we get curious. We ask people. We ask our, our next set of leaders, especially those people that we we want to keep. Right? We ask them, "What is your vision for yourself? What do you want to do?" We get curious around that, and we and then we say, "Hey, you know what? We can navigate this together. This doesn't have to be. We don't have to have the scarcity mindset where if you want to do something that's not exactly what we've already programmed into our structure." you know, that we can actually make that work. In fact, by making that work, we might even become a better firm, right? We might be able to do some new things that we weren't able to do before. Yep. So I, I think that asking about what your people's visions are for themselves and doing it in a way that actually lets them dream a little bit, that actually lets them to get most excited, that your word passion, right? Don't we want our people to be tying what they do to the things they're most passionate about? Isn't that where their greatest capacity, where their greatest potential lies, yep. right? And why would we be afraid of that? Why wouldn't we actually want that? Why wouldn't we want to sit in those conversations and talk about how that can work? Yeah, it's funny because 
when five years ago when transitioned from managing partner to the role I do today. And I kind of fought that a little because in my mind, my identity was managing partner. If it's not who I am, then what am I? And that's completely the wrong mindset to have because what my identity is, is what I do today. And I can't imagine being anything else. But at the same time, my partner who took over the managing partner role, his passion is running and growing a business. I have a passion for starting a business. I have a passion for other things, but not the running part. I don't. He is just, that is his thing. And I personally didn't know that before we did this. And I should have. So asking the questions, like you said, is something that, hey, I'm 60 now. I've learned so much in the last five years that I wish I would have known a long time ago. So you are now educating people on this. But for us, it's been unbelievable what has done for our business. We've just gone through the roof in the last five years because now he's in a role he's completely passionate about. I'm in a role that I can't imagine ever doing anything else and don't know how I did anything else uh, uh, before. And it's just great for the business. So being that open leader that is going to listen to people, their ideas, I think you uh, that's probably one of the most important things in my mind out there. Yeah. And just asking the questions, you know, Randy, just like you asked the question of what, what do I derive my value from? Right. right. That was a great question. Yep. Yeah. But asking the questions of what people are wanting, what are they looking for yep. and what gets them most excited? Right. We all love talking about that. And your story is great. Right. Because we might work with people for years or, you know, we, we grow so much experience. But do we really sit down and learn about what other people's passions are? I yep. think we need to do that more. That's what I do now. I try at least, whether I'm right or wrong. Every time I hire a new, we, we, I don't even get involved in hiring. Anytime we hire a new person now, because hiring is not a passion of mine. Um, managing is not a passion of mine. Processes and procedures is not a passion of mine. But anytime we hire someone new, my goal is to within a, a week or so, get on a team's call and talk about anything but work. Just talk about, hey, what do you do? What do you enjoy? What do you like? We talked about at the beginning. So I, I'm not trying to say that I've got this all figured out because by no means I do, but talking to you, at least I feel like I'm I'm on the right track. So I I appreciate you making me feel better about myself, Brian. Okay. okay. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Right. All right. Well well that I think those are all awesome advice. For firms, uh, before I ask about uh, contact information from you, I would be completely remiss if I didn't ask you, what do you love doing outside of work? What are your passions? What is fun? When you're not advising people and one-on-one -on -one coaching, what are the fun things that you do, the fun things that you enjoy doing? Yeah, so um, so I am a huge uh, sports buff. So I, uh, I, uh, I love... Uh, this has actually been put on a hold a lot, but I love attending different sporting events that I have not been to before. My wife and I, we talk about all the stadiums we're going to uh, uh, visit, you know, around the country and things like that. And so that is one of my big things. I've moved around a lot, so I've been able to see different sports teams and things like that. But yeah, I love traveling to new cities, seeing a sports team in a venue that I have not seen before. Right. And, and there's a lot that I have to go to do. Uh, so that would be one of my passions. I I, uh, I also just love working out. I like you or, or similar to you. I my first hour of my day every single day is is at the gym, yep. and it's it's just fun. It's actually addictive for me. Me and, too. And it the energy right, and it, it's about it's a part of my morning routine, you know. And without that, 
I don't think I'd probably be here because it's been so important to me. Right. Yep. So, uh, those are the two things I would say that come up the most for yeah my outside activities. Okay. Know? Well, I got to ask you a question and I know, uh, you, you and I live near each other. I'm guessing you're not a native of the Chicago area. If you are or aren't, are you a, a Cubs or Sox or some other baseball fan or no baseball fan? I grew up in the Northern Virginia area, so I'm a Washington Nationals right. fan, right? Okay. And, uh, yeah, and uh, the Nationals and the Cubs before, you know, they've had some playoff series, so it, where especially where the Cubs have beaten the Nationals. And so that made me hate the Cubs pretty quickly <laughs> when I came here. And and actually, when we came here it was when we when I first moved to the Chicago area, the Cubs were winning the World Series that year, and, right. and I didn't even know how many fireworks could be shot off in this area <laughs> in the city. But we found out about that, and actually, I lived. Here's another part: I lived in Cleveland for four years, Ooh. so I was truly rooting for the uh, then called Indians, now the Guardians. Yeah, so so definitely have not liked the Cubs. Now, I like to watch teams have to rebuild. So when we first got here, the White Sox were terrible. Yeah. They were one of the worst teams. And to have watched them rebuild over the last four or five years has been interesting. So I, I would say I'm an interested White Sox, not fan, but I, I'm interested in the White Sox more than the Cubs. Okay. So does that answer your question? It, it does. Well, the Cubs are in a total rebuild right now, too. So you can watch right. that. I'm hoping it's not too long. Right. But uh, Right. I, I hope they realize how much of a rebuild they're in. They, they really need to start over. And I think they are. Hopefully. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah I, 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 we'll see where that goes. Okay. So do I hear, I hear from that? Are you a Cubs fan, Randy? Oh, I am fourth generation Cubs fan. So, okay. um, um, yeah, it's uh, my great grandfather started with my grandfather, my parents, us. My kids, you know, um, yeah, it's uh, it is a family tradition. We went to more than the handful of games during the 2016 uh, playoffs, so it was a, it was a lot of fun. Yep. Yeah, what a special year, yep, right? It yeah, was for sure. All right, so again, I honestly, this has exceeded my expectations. Not that I had, like I said, beginning my my my, my are sometimes low for for what I can uh, contribute as well. But this has been amazing. I think the information you've given out, the ideas, the advice has been awesome. So if anybody is also moved by what we talked about today, is there, how can someone get a hold of you or find out what you're doing? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, they can go to intendtolead.com. That's the number two. Um, we, we just started our own coaching community. We realized executive coaching can be really expensive for people and there's especially becoming a healthier leader and human being. So we just started our own uh, healthy leaders coaching community, which is very, very cheap and very feasible. And it's a monthly subscription that people can join and actually get some coaching support and, and really connect with like-minded leaders from firms across the country. So we're really excited. We already have 50 people signed up or so to to start in July. But yes, intendtolead.com. Please connect with me on LinkedIn. Brian Cush, K-U-S-H. I, I'd love to do that as well. That's that's how you can find me. All right. Well, well, Brian, again, thanks for being here today. I look forward to seeing all the feedback we get on this one. I think it, it'll all be positive. Well, thank you, Randy. It's been fun and a pleasure. And uh, yeah, I've really enjoyed talking with you and yeah, and, and hearing what your firm and, and is doing and, and a lot of the areas we talked about, so good stuff. Thank you for joining us today on The Unique CPA. You can find all the links and show notes for today's episode, as well as more about Trimerit at theuniquecpa.com. Remember to subscribe and join us for our next episode where we'll be going beyond compliance into forging new pathways of delivering value to your clients, diversifying your revenue streams, and leading edge management techniques and styles.